Paul says, he who prays in tongues doesn't speak to men, but speaks to God, and no one understands what he says. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. You know, the work of the Holy Ghost is to shikilimenda and to shundestamaste. They're mysterious to the known language. They're mysterious to our mind. It'll actually sound like gibberish or gobbledygook. You receive it when you get filled with the Spirit, when you get baptized in the Spirit. You're listening to Spoken Through, an audio series on leaving evangelical Pentecostalism. I'm Alec Cowan. Sarah. I have spent most of my life from birth to adulthood in church. So my Pentecostal experience is kind of divided into two sections in my life. I was first raised in the Pentecostal church, Pentecostal holiness, kind of mix of both, from like the week that I was born to when I was about six or seven. Uh, The second part of that would be from when I was 16 to, um, I'd say actually 19. And you said in your email that um, your church did believe in speaking in tongues. So can you just walk me through um, what that was like, like at a church service, if someone comes down with the spirit, what, what does that look like? People would quote unquote, come down with the spear and they'd fall on the floor. And at the time I was a child. So I, you know, don't understand why is my parent falling on the floor and they're shaking and crying, you know, thinking they got hurt, not really understanding what is the full scope of what is happening around me. So speaking in tongues was actually one thing that I was brought up and raised in, in the sense of you could speak it. Uh, it was kind of more of a rift that drove between my parents because my father was raised Baptist. My mother is Pentecostal. So from my father's point of view, you know, you can't be taught how to speak in tongues. It happens when you're possessed by the spirit. So I never personally spoke tongues in the sense of I was possessed by the spirit. I used to be so religious, it's not even funny. I was never to the point of wearing skirts and covering your ankles, but I wanted to speak in tongues so bad. But I followed my father's belief of that the spirit has to possess you. So it was a matter of, for me, you know, I'm doing my very best for God. I am donating my gifts of the spirit. I am doing all these things. I am so into my church and my people, and I do everything that God says, and I listen to the sermons and take notes as best as possible, but I have yet to be possessed by the Spirit and speak the language of God. It was almost as if my, I wouldn't want to say obsession, but it was like an obsession of compulsion with my relationship with God, it was the one part that was missing of it. I remember praying as I would go to bed every night that the Holy Spirit 
possess me and make itself known so I can see the things and the ways of God, which was, was partially taught to me by my grandparent that the Holy Spirit can come over you and it has happened to them. So for me, it's like, I've, I've been so deep in this and it hasn't happened. Why not? And how did that make you feel? I guess, you know, for me, not being able to speak in tongues was uh, really damaging, I think. Like it caused me to feel a lot of shame and disappointment in myself. Did you feel some of those same feelings? Pentecostal, absolutely. It just felt just so wrong that there was somewhere in my life that I was missing. And not only that, my mental health at the time had really degraded due to some personal trauma I had encountered when I was younger. So between that, trying to search for some reconciliation, some hope that I will stop feeling this way that I did mentally, and then also being constantly told by the individuals that believed in the Pentecostal doctrine, you know, there was probably a good reason why. And it had something to do with me if I hadn't felt the Holy Spirit. And perhaps it could have been my negative mindset. It could have been my depressive tendencies. It could be the grudges that I hold against people. It was always an element of there was something that I was doing, which was why I wasn't ever experiencing the presence of God. And what kind of restrictions did you have growing up? Um, I guess, you know, for me, there's kind of like I wasn't allowed to watch certain shows, things like Harry Potter, or Pokemon, um, those kinds of things that made me feel maybe like I was kind of out of the loop with some other folks. There was always some type of leash on the content that I had read or seen when I was younger or watched to the extent that, you know, when you're younger, you don't really notice those things because you only see what is given to you or shown to you. So I wasn't really allowed to hang out with too many people from outside of church. Like when I go back on and think on it, because at that point I was spending probably three, three days out of the week in the church. And Sunday was a day and night type of deal. So I spent most of my time that I had anyway with church people that were really good friends with, with my family. But some of those restrictions, even coming out of the church kind of followed into place from when to I was 10 and 11 years old. And I guess this is where the South kind of kicks in. There's always an element of, maybe it's controversial to say, but of racism somehow tied into the doctrine that is of the church here. Most churches, maybe outside the South, don't really follow that element. But in the South, everything has some sort of racist element to it. So it got to a point where I wasn't allowed to have black friends because um, there were some scriptures they could point out in the Bible and then say, you know, you don't want the neighbors to think on it that way. Or you're not allowed to date anyone that is other than white or Caucasian. And then they'd quote a verse that I knew off the top of my head did not exist. And what did that make home life feel like? I, I mean, your parents were kind of, I mean, were your parents kind of, um, I guess, fanatical about the Bible? Like, my mom would spread this kind of holy herb around the house wherever she felt like I'd attract in some bad spirit. So was there kind of that um, that level of superstition or, or just um, wariness, I guess, in the home? God, I remember, uh, I don't know, like anointing oil? 
oh my gosh, we would regularly make crosses over the doorposts and stuff in the windows. And, you know, you're taught to do that if you're having nightmares or you're having bad thoughts. And then you have that reinforcement of you should constantly be in fear. So if you feel guilty watching something, oh, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're not supposed to be watching that. Or the end times are coming. You should always be ready because Jesus could be coming back any minute. So then there's that paranoia that you're supposed to be on the lookout for the signs. And then after a while, you know, you're thinking the world's getting worse. So you start connecting all these dots that don't even exist. Living in constant fear of something. It there's just, In every doctrine, everything, there's just that reinforcement of fear that that's how you're supposed to live. And living in fear is what keeps you in line with God. I remember used to being like so scared of the rapture happening. <laughs> Not even kidding. I thought the end of the world was happening when Obama was elected because I was grew up in like a conservative household. And I was like 12, 13 at the time or something like that. Like I didn't know jack about politics, but it's what I had been taught to me indirectly in the church, in my household. So I felt some type of fear that ended up fueling hate for a very long time. And it was just that endless nasty cycle. But, you know, your parents are, are your leaders. So, you know, you, you trust and believe in them that they know what's best. So you just follow suit of that belief. I will never forget that because those same people, they've not changed their mindset in any way. And they are still very much a part of the church today. And did that kind of intense bias and discrimination extend to women in the church? You know, um, you know the very traditional subservient image of uh, really hardcore traditional de- denominations, was, was that present there? There was actually one specific incident when I was 17 years old, and this was at the first Pentecostal church we had, we had gone to. And we always sat up in the in the balcony upstairs with a couple other of us in the in the youth group, my sister and a few friends included. And so as soon as service or uh, youth service Sunday school got out, you know, we would head straight upstairs. And you know, going to church, if you had some freedom over what you wore, you tend to take pride in it. And I had been to the Baptist church, so there's a lot of you take pride in what you wear when you go to church. So there's a lot of coordination on does my dress match my shoes and match my hair does my makeup look good you know do I look good do I feel good about the way I look when I go to church because that is supposed to be honorable and so I always wear dresses I love to wear dresses and I would wear them and we randomly got a complaint I think during one of our girls night or like girls youth group because we had one of those too on Wednesday nights that there were some of the boys standing down at the bottom of the stairs watching the girls go up so they could look under their skirts And that pretty much they wanted us to wear shorter dresses and uh, or pants. And so that really run me wrong because many years before um, I had experienced sexual assault, I experienced sexual assault and I was wearing (laughs) uniform shorts for school when I experienced that. So for me, you know, someone that even at that point, which was kind of radical, I believed in in women's rights and something that I never spoke about while I was going to church. Um, I believed in birth control. I believed in contraception. I believed in abortion. And I also believed in uh, if you as a man touch somebody, that is your responsibility, not the females. 
And that just really, really, really bothered me that they asked us to start wearing longer dresses because we were already wearing knee-length skirts or dresses. And we weren't, you know, wearing cleavage or anything like that. And because a bunch of horny 13-year-olds couldn't, quote-unquote, control themselves, I could wait down at the bottom of the stairs for us to go up. And after that, that just stuck with me for so long. It it bothered me. And I think that coupled with my trauma kind of seeped into some of my dreams there for a very long time. I don't think I've currently met anybody that has left the Pentecostal church that hasn't experienced some form of trauma in one way or another. It helped growing up in Southern conservative, small white. So there was an, uh, a level of sexism that was already there. And then you kind of throw the church on top of it in that culture that accepts it. There was a level of sexism if a girl was, you know, talking to a boy in her fellow class. You know, there would always be watching him like a hawk, not so much watching him, watching her. There would always be that that double standard of things that they were caught to. One thing that I think was really evident and I will never absolutely forget. I was 17 at the time, so he was about 16. And he had been interested in trying to pursue me in a long time. And I thought I had, you know, made it uh, (laughs) obvious enough in the nicest way possible. I'm not interested in you. I'm already seeing somebody. And he randomly one day messaged me on Snapchat and tried to to solicit me for nude photos. And I thought, wow, you really have the gall to ask that? Oh, no, that's not going to sit with me. So I started asking around the group if anyone else, you know, uh, has this boy asked y'all for nudes too? And three other ones said, yeah, actually, yeah. So it's like, okay. So he's been doing this for how long now? So I was like, well, he asked me, you know, about a couple of weeks ago and he asked me the other day. So it had seemed to be fairly recent, but he has had a history of trying to pursue somebody. So something came up one day that I think it was my friend after he asked her, she went to his mother and said, hi, your son asked me for nudes and it's making me really uncomfortable. Uh, I know so-and-so or Sarah has also had this experience where he asked her, and so she went to one of the other girls that he asked and because the girl had a crush on him she outright denied that he asked her for nude photos and so nothing ever did come out of it he was never punished he was never talked to him it was discouraging to all of us three that it was acceptable for a male to pursue and ask a girl for nudes that you go to church with and that was somewhat okay because one girl that likes him says no he never sent me photos or he never asked me for photos when did that kind of um like political radicalization start to register for you like i think it was always kind of present in my church where we also believe that obama might be an antichrist um but I didn't really start understanding it. I didn't really, it, it did, the politics of it didn't really start bothering me until like maybe high school time. 
a lot of people, I think they experience some of their coming away from the church or awakening to what is going on when they hit that teenage year of 14 to 15. For me, it was the opposite. I just grew insanely religious. So that was part of my life was the church and God. So there would be times where I'm like, I'm lonely, but then it's, you know, you have your church family. That's what the church family is for. It didn't help that my parent was the youth group leader or the youth group pastor at the time. So I kind of got everything a little bit worse than what everyone else did in the class, especially too, because in the church around here, like it's the South and it's like a small county of like 14,000 people. You're related to somebody. (laughs) So, you know, there'd be that cousin that you knew with at the church I was going to at that time. My, My grandparents, my other grandparents went, and I'd have an uncle and an aunt that would go and some other cousins. And, you know, you'd find out probably, you know, after a while, like, oh, so-and-so you have is kin. So when you learn stuff like that, everywhere you go, there's someone that you know. You can't escape it when you're that deep into it. I had grown so deep into my spirituality that I don't want to say I got arrogant, but I felt that I had an edge up on everybody else that was my age and younger. I had this relationship with God that I took seriously as a 15, 16-year-old that everyone else just seemed to blow off or not pay attention into youth class to the point that I was allowed to teach some of these these classes. And then that turned into my, spiraled into my career at every church I ended up going to after that so even then you know being in high school I was teaching stuff never you know did I ever come out of that isolation of the church ever At that time, I think really was I was seeking that personal healing for what I was struggling with internally, mentally. I was currently going through major depression at the time, and it, it just felt like everything I would do, it, it just wouldn't work to do it. So, you know, I had experienced depression from when I was 13 up until really I was 18 or 19. And, you know, during this whole time, I was I was in the church. So especially when I got really deep into it. This was going to be my resolution for what I was thinking and what I was feeling. And when I would reach out to family members, when I would feel at my wits end, even in the the midst of my deep relationship and, you know, I'd point out I'm deep in the church. I'm devoted. I tithe with what allowance money I have. I pray to God. I swear sometimes I can feel him. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Sometimes it would come down as that heavy hammer of, yeah, there's something you're doing wrong. And other times it would be, well, pray to God. And so it would just be that brush off, you know, there's really nothing else you can do despite all the available resources. Everything always has a solution that is in the Bible or that can be solved by the church. So with that, you know, I gave up after a while on trying to ask for therapy because after many times, just pray to God, just pray to God. So I'm like, okay, well, that seems that's all I can do, even though I'm so deep into it right now. And I swear I can feel God's love. I swear I can hear him talking to me. But 
the only thing that I ended up doing was it made my mental health worse and it only made my hunger for a deeper relationship grow, believing that that was the true only answer that I had. When did you finally start to um, get to that point where you decided you wanted to leave, like completely, full stop? I really started to pull away out of the deepness of it when I was 17, 18, I had entered a deeper relationship with God. I feel like at the same time, I also gained some clarity to kind of what was happening around me more as I was older. And I felt like I had the gift of discernment from the spirit that what was happening in the church just wasn't right in the sense of the church was growing rapidly and the pastor was getting a kickoff of it to the point that his sermons ended up turning into what everyone would respond to the most. And that would be a weekly rant of the gay couple from the Campbell Soup commercial a week for about a month or two months. And at that point, that clarity hit me like, okay, is that all you have to go on? Is that is that your selling point to your congregation? Is is that your message from from God? The last church I had been to was a non-denominational that would not tie itself with anyone. And I think that was that was really where I started to come out of it because I was getting very political at that time in my life. And I started to just see the small hypocrisies. There would be an awful lot of revelation, get ready for the end, blood moons. But there would be very little about what to do in your current time on earth as an individual to be a better person towards everybody else. It would always be, it's against God for homosexual relations, but it would never be love your neighbor. And it was just after a while, I started to see more problems with the Christian church than I saw good things with it. And that's where I just completely noped out after that last one, when I was 19, 20 years old, I cut it out. I stopped going and it took a while to break from that spirituality. It took a very long time. And how did it feel to be out of the church? Was it hard to, I guess, you know, physically and psychologically get away from it? Because especially as a kid, you're just you're just so deep into it that it's it's really all of who you are. It's your identity. It's it's kind of who you've believed yourself to be. And you know, on a on a cosmic sense and on a on a just everyday decision sense, it, it's really your whole life. It kind of felt like I was allowed to breathe after holding on my breath for so long in fear of I was going to make a noise or step a certain way that just displeased God. Not in the sense of I'm going to be hammered down any second, but that there's always this constant underlying sensation of you're always walking on thin, thin ice with your spirituality. And after having devoted so much time and my resources, it was kind of difficult at first to acknowledge that, you know, there could be some some faults out there with everything, the things that I ever believed, the things that I taught, the things that I held myself to, the standards that I would not let myself fall below. It took a long time to realize that was okay. I was a worship leader. I was on the photography board for capturing the pastors and the various events uh, for social media. I was also a, a social media assistant, so I helped manage and run the Facebook and Instagram pages. I also was the kids director 
too. So I ended up also <laughs> having to wrangle a bunch of kids from birth to 15 years old and run the whole show by myself. And I think with everything that I had on my plate versus how I was trying to maintain my spirituality, I ended up just getting tired. There would be times where I just like, I wake up and it would be, I don't want to go to church this morning. I just don't want to do it after the last week. And it's, it was kind of like an awakening a little bit that I fought, that I was kind of mad at myself for even thinking that this could, you know, this could be someone's misinterpretation of everything. And they just took it and ran with it. And they set up a whole church on it and even following it. So it was more of a, it, it was a slap in the face, really, that I would even dare think about it. It took me just having to relax and let that breath out and just stop holding myself responsible for even thinking certain things. I've heard some other folks describe it as a culture shock. Do you feel like that term kind of fits with what you felt? Yeah, it, it felt like a culture shock in a lot of ways that the term culture shock is used. It was never to the extent like a lot of people would, you know, they were allowed to let their hair down and they could finally shave their legs and they were finally allowed to go here or, or go there. But it was, I, I feel like it was much more personal. It was more internal, the shocks I would have that I didn't know you could think like this. I didn't know you could believe or feel like this. There would still be mornings where it would just feel wrong not waking up early on Sunday or not going out on Wednesday to go to youth group or not going somewhere on Sunday night. It was like a pit in my stomach at the time, really, that, you know, I felt like in a way have, have I wasted you know, my time at this church after trying to do so, you know, trying to do good, you know, as the way God would intend me to in the original sense of what Jesus preached, which is what we were supposed to be following, but weren't, that it ended up leading to nothing. So what was, what was, what was the point of me devoting all my time and my effort and resources? And I never genuinely saw any reward come out of it or any thank you or any recognition. And so what do you think of your spirituality now? Where where are you at? I would say more along the lines of atheist, agnostic. Uh, 23, I still haven't been to a church since I walked out of that last one. There's a lot of time devotion. There's a lot of resource devotion that goes into it. And when you're in the middle of it, you don't think about it. It might be something you brag about. Yeah, I spend four days a week at the church, or I currently serve in a role in the church, and I'm over this really important big thing, or I'm having this big impact on people. But if you ever get the opportunity to step out of it that way, everything is devoted in some way. You're thinking about it. You're planning something about it. You're reading something for it or about it, or you're there. And you can't really escape one of this war unless you're sleeping and even then shoot you might be dreaming about it is there anything you miss from it i mean i've i've made you know great memories with the people that i have been in church with at the time but if there's ever anything that i ever ended up missing out of it because the experience as a whole while it worsened my mental health and i can recognize what it did for me at the time i don't miss any of it and so 
how did your parents take you living? Did you ever have like a like a conversation with them about what you were feeling? My father, I, I saw changes in his behavior after we both left. And the only reason he stopped going was because I stopped going. And so there would still be that threat of you're going to go back to church next Sunday. And then it would never happen. But then at the time, it's like I'm like 19. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, are you going to drag me by the ear and make me go to church? I'm an adult. You can't do that. So it, it would never amount to amount to anything. They still have a good relationship with me and I with them. But my mother and grandmother especially, I know for a fact there's things that they say that because I've said this or I watched this or I said this thing to my sister, which her experience is pretty much the same as mine. She was never as religious as I was, but she's as far out of it like I am, you know, that I've gone worldly and I've, quote unquote, lost my relationship with God. They they used to regularly talk about me, actually, um, kind of in disappointment that. I left and that they can tell that I've changed as a person because I'm not as in touch with God as I used to be. That that just changed me as a whole person. And you know what? I definitely agree. I am a completely different person since I've left the church and it's for my own better. It, it sounds like church was a really difficult mental health problem for you. Um, now that you're out of it, how, how do you feel now out, outside of kind of the, the pressure and expectations of church? I, I think now that... I've moved to a better spot and about two years after I had left the church, I was finally able um, and financially had the money to seek the resources that I needed. I started antidepressants that I saw. Oh my God. It was like a huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders. And I wouldn't be surprised if anyone else has experienced this, especially in ex-Pentecostal that we're also having psych issues. Major depression kind of spiraled into something worse. So it turned into, not long after, it turned into paranoia. Then it spiraled into psychosis. And I remember there would be times where I would do my prayers to God at night. And I would just get so frustrated because I wouldn't hear God say anything back to me. Like all the elders say, God talks to you when you pray to him. You'll hear God. You just need to listen. Well, I, I wouldn't hear God. I would hear a very sinister voice in my head and I at least had the smarts about me to go that's not God why can't I stop this voice in my head and I think after a while it really started to drive me crazy that I was trying to revamp my my relationship even more like okay maybe if I fix it up a little you know get better you know read even more maybe I've been slacking that's kind of what's going on doing that it it didn't get better it got worse I think it was Finally, when I got out of the church and the first time I ever stopped praying, that I stopped hearing those voices. Not only that, it felt like mentally I was starting to get to a better place. And it was almost as if I had become so obsessive compulsive with my relationship with God and how I tried to make it perfect. I wanted everything to be perfect. And when I finally just gave up on it, it was, you know, fuck it, I'm done. I still have dreams about when I was in church. One thing that really sets it in stone is that time in their life was not a good one. It was not a good time in their life. And for me, my time in the church, I was in a bad place while I was going and used that as some type of solution for my problems, which it was not a solution. It did not fix 
I've since gotten help since I've left the church, and thank God, I wish I was able to get it sooner. 